From class politics in the capital to more class politics in 18th century Europe. We'll be discussing all things Hunger Games and yes, even Stanley Kubrick this week on The Film Angle. Hello guys and welcome to the brand new episode of The Film Angle. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. And we are going highbrow and lowbrow as always today on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Not to put, no, no, none none of these are are lowbrow by any sense. We are talking, doing a retrospect on uh, pretty much a, a movie series and book series that like circa 10 years ago was all that everybody in the YA sort of sphere was talking about, and that was The Hunger Games. Mm. And obviously, the prequel is now out, also based on the prequel book uh, by Suzanne Collins, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We've both seen it, Alex and me. Yes. And we're going to give our kind of thoughts on the whole series as a franchise. we all watched them very quickly recently as well, yes. didn't we? Because we, we both wanted to get back into that world before... Uh... Before venturing back into, uh, I don't know what the world's called. I guess it's just Earth. It doesn't really give you much more than that. Panem, Panem, yes, Panem, yes. Panem for now, Panem forever, Panem whatever, <laughs> <laughs> something, something like that. Um, yeah, like what kind of brought? You know, this kind of we didn't have to choose to do this. Like nobody asked us to pick this series. What kind of thrusted? We both kind of similar, similarly kind of wanted to return back to this world. Mm. I think that's a little bit of nostalgia because I think we were the sort of target audience when this whole thing was coming out originally. We were, you know, in that YA sort of coming to the end of that. I was probably, you know, my last years of school whenever Hunger Games was really amping up as a, as a franchise. You probably were in university. Um, I was, yeah, I was just starting. So I guess in a way I was probably just out of the demographic. However, um, I had read the books. So having read the mm-hmm. books in the year or two prior to the film coming out, because yes. um, I don't think I remember having to wait too long. Um, I was very excited because I loved the books. I thought they were, I thought they were excellent. Um, yeah. When did the prequel book come out? Cause I, I, that one missed me by. Missed me as well. So I think the prequel book came out after the films had concluded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I've heard, I heard it was it was good. And I guess, you know, judging from the film, must be the case. Um, but I guess I was kind of out of that kind of YA world by then that I didn't sure. have, and like a prequel wasn't drawing me back in to, to go read those things because I felt that maybe it was just kind of a, a cash grab or, or something like that. And I just, you know, to bring me back to that YA world for however long it would have taken me to read the book. I don't know. Yeah. I just wasn't, I wasn't there for it. Um, and I think we'll chat about it later as well, but I do think the final two films of the series, they kind of like, I don't know, knock some of the energy out of me. And mm. for, for the love of those, uh, like, for the like love now, of that Like now or back then? Back then, back then. I remember right. like Hung Games 1 and then Catching Fire. I, I've watched them so many times. I, mm-hmm. I loved both those films. And then part one came out uh, of Mock and Jay. And uh, I've seen part one and part two once. And I watched them again this time. Almost felt like I was watching them for the first time. Um, just because yeah. I couldn't really remember them that well. 
And my feelings still stand. They should not have split that final book into two. <laughs> There's a lot of standing around and there is a lot of looking emotional in, in especially in Mock and J Part One. Yeah, and, and a lot of darkly lit rooms. Um yeah. It's quite interesting. For me, I got to revisit this franchise with my partner Lauren because she had never seen Hungry Games. This actually completely for some reason she oh, was really? just like one of the only people um, in our age bracket at the time that I completely skipped by. So I actually was interesting to rewatch this because I obviously had a little bit of rose tinted glasses here and mm. to actually see an adult objectively watch it for the first time was really interesting for me. And I was actually kind mm. of, it felt very validating that she actually kind of enjoyed it similar to me. Um, They're really well done films. They are really well done. And I, and I think the thing I really enjoy about the franchise in general, I mean, the first exposure I had to Hunger Games wasn't the book first. I read the book after watching, well, all three books after watching the first film on when Netflix was like the brand new thing. And it was like one of the first big movies I had on there was the first oh, Hunger nice, Games. Nice. So I remember watching it a lot on there. Kind of reminds me of a lot of the, like when Game of Thrones started and it had that real sort of scratchy, we don't know where this is going to go as a franchise energy to it. Like you watch the first Hunger Games and you know, it it's big budget in terms of movies, but like for what the franchise turns out to be, it's quite low budget in comparison. It has much yes. more of like, they have to be a lot more discerning about what they put in front of the camera and how they use trickery to kind of get around some, you know, budgetary issues. Um, yes. And the fact that they're straight up murdering kids. And yeah. How, how to get around that. And yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot of creative, but sometimes you kind of see it a little bit in that first film. But it kind of makes it feel quite, I don't know. Yeah. It's quite earnest. But then you get that and then Catching Fire comes along and it's like, right, we're established now. Everybody is going to go see this thing. And it's like, what? The camera will no longer shake. The camera will no longer (laughs) shake. Everything. Yeah. The things that we couldn't show you before, like the capital itself. um, Yeah. Costumes, makeup, everything, even just to the arena itself is being money's been thrown at it and this is what we want this thing to look like and then you go to Mockingjay fire looks okay now fire yeah the fire the fire in the first Hunger Games um, and the chariot scene even though that is quite I do love those chariot scenes in those first two movies especially with that like iconic piece of music yeah that that looks like it was it was done in Photoshop Um, yeah but it, it is what it is but yeah, and then you go to Mockingjay, which has a lot more of a has more of a grim sort of both aesthetic and tone to it. So I really like the series because every single film feels like we're jumping sort of mini genres. You know, like they're all mm. feel like they're made by a different filmmaker, even though apart from the first one, Francis Lawrence directs all of them. So there is this sort of flexibility in the world to like sort of stretch our wings out and be artistically creative. And I think. The prequel is pretty similar. It does something new, but yeah, I mean, we're, we, you know, have you got a favorite in the series, like excluding the the prequel? Yes, excluding the prequel. Um, my favorite is the first one. It's always been the first one, and I wasn't sure when rewatching them again after having not seen them in so long. Um, I, you know, a lot of people always say the second one is the best. Um, mm. I would agree with that still, but I, I get, I get why you would like. It's the first close. One, right? It's yeah. close, but I just there's something. 
And I don't know if it is the nostalgia playing a part of it, of being really excited to see mm. how they were going to adapt the book, how much of the book they were going to adapt, because I don't think it was always a given that, you know, you'd get like a straight adaptation of these kind of things. And we'd seen some pretty poor uh, young adult adaptations, you know, diversion, that kind of stuff. Come yes, to, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're, come to they're, play. Like, they're answering this franchise, really, aren't they? Yeah, but... Me yeah, Runner no, is another one. Yeah. Yes, which is... I, I remember thinking it was okay. I never mm-hmm. really got into Maze Runner. Um, but, you know, I just... I, yeah, I still thought that first film was excellent. And I feel like it's one of those films that, you know, it is it, it is battling with its limitations, but it has brilliant cast. It's really well shot for the most part. I really like the shaky cam, personally. I think it really kind of gives a kind of this. It really gives an like an awe of terror. I don't okay. know. Yeah. The whole world feels a little bit more real when it feels like it's an actual camera, and it feels dirty and grimy and grey mm. and horrible. And and I just all the films in general have their morals in the right place. Uh, but in that first Hunger Games film, when Rue dies, yeah. and you see the um, you know you see her district start to riot. Um, over kind of how emotional that moment is, um, it really, I really gets me every time. I don't, I don't know what it is about that riot scene in particular, but none of the the scenes of kind of rioting and liberation and revolution quite get me like the first film does. Mm. And it's only a tiny, tiny one percent of that film compared to how much it takes up the time of the other films. But sure, I, I think that's a strength of all the franchise. Really, I think it does rebellion very well, and I think it does a really, really good job at introducing young people to these bigger themes that exist in our mm. own world and our own history are going on in our world right now. I mean, so no matter when you watch these films, it'll always be relevant to whatever is going on. Um, it really captures the sort of like the sort of malicious you know um sort of non-intentional but like it's in our human nature just to kind of carry these things out over and over again and even just how kind of complacent we can get within our own and more you know severe patriotism can kind of can muddy what we think of other people and how we see other people as human beings so yeah it, it still runs really well today there is the the, the shaky cam in the first film i I do agree. I think it works sometimes. I think they do do it a little bit too much. And I think it is, again, that limitations and it comes through as that that is the reason why. But the scene whenever they first enter the arena and they take mm. away they take away like all sort of real world audio. So it just kind of captures it's just literally like a dull um drum beat in the background. And the sound of people breathing and the franticness of what's going on in that scene. And like that is when the shaky cam really, really worked. It added to like the chaotic brutality of that of that sequence. Um mm. so I, I get it there. But catching it fire is... Yeah. Go for I'm it. Sorry, I was also gonna say, just in, in reference to that scene as well, it is the only film where it is actual children in the Hunger Games as well, because obviously in the second one it's the the quarter quell and they bring back tributes from from the past and obviously yeah. some of them are more older than others so i some think there's really an old. element <laughs> they do yeah some of them are really old uh they do a really good job of kind of i don't know even when they are trying to dehumanize certain sections of the group when it mm. comes to their time it's really good at being like oh shit they are just kids and they're all just they're all figuring out their own way of trying to 
stay alive in this the same as our kind of main characters because you feel like the main characters have the moral su- superiority here but they're all just battling in one way or another trying to figure out what's the best way for me to get out of here alive mm. um and i think it does a really good job of kind of like showing the horrors of that i think that's really good i think that's clever and i think it does show the horrors of that i think the way the capital in general use sort of music and pageantry to kind of as this sort of veneer. I mean, everybody is so garishly dressed in this city and, mm. you know, even especially the first movie, I think, I think they were, the, the costume department definitely found its strive by movie number two, um, yeah. as opposed to one, but you know, all of this sort of pomp and the American idleness of, especially in catching fire, the the way they present people, like it's the Graham Norton show or like any big TV talk show, the kind of, Perea these people in front and it's it is so it's quite entertaining to watch but it is so dehumanizing also and i i really those are the parts of the movies that i really like and i miss and when i watch mockingjay but i know i get something completely different out of mockingjay and i there were the two movies i kind of i don't know for you but though they were the most recent i kind of forgotten them most most out of the the whole series Yeah, and they, the thing is, they are well done, and they would be better as one film. I think I know they cover a lot of things, but even like a two and a half, three hour film, I think would be better than the kind of two, mm. two and a half hour films that we got. Um, but yeah, I think it, it be, the whole series has its morals in the right place, and it, it looks at the audience and goes, "We know you want more Hunger Games, but like you're missing the point. Like you're fully missing the point." And this, exactly because yeah because we turn yeah. into the capital then don't we yeah 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 this is about getting out of a bad place and and how kind of revolutions are gray and all this kind of stuff it feels like it, it wanted like rogue one feels like it wanted to be this and i didn't realize just how well <laughs> people are gonna hunger come games. after you <laughs> yeah but they did the hunger games did this so well in kind of pitching yeah. this kind of rebellion and being like how how far can you re- rebel before you become the empire essentially <laughs> and i think it's i think it's a really good of kind of you know the whole metaphor of kind mm-hmm. of the way things kind of change but it's just a big wheel and and all this kind of stuff and i think they do yeah, a really good I job like, in mocking like jay bleeding that in they bleed that in very slowly in the, in those two films i think enough for you know as an older i've seen this movie before so i can see like the manipulation early with Julianne Moore's character mm. in the background and how that, you know, we can see where this is going, but I can imagine a younger audience who maybe are new to these sort of things, you know, the realization of, of the inherent evil, evilness sort of reciprocated in, in the rebellion, you know, might not catch up to them until the part two movie. So yeah, yeah it works yeah. really well. It is good. And uh, yeah, there are there are obviously elements, like you said, the, the pomp and stuff that you kind of love in the first two films. Oh, yeah, Stanley Tucci. Show nature. I was about to say, at least he pops up for a little something. Uh, but I must say, uh, M laughed at me because every time Stanley Tucci popped up, I just laughed. Before he even said <laughs> anything, I just laughed. I don't know he, what it is. He's, so he's having good. so it's much fun. Smile. Yeah. It's just, he's so stupid in these films that I love it. I love how how stupid it all is. It's great. Lauren got a real, real kick out of um, Toby Jones being in the first movie, or the lack of yeah. Toby Jones. Like he's like yeah. in, he's like in every scene with Stanley Tucci, but he's not allowed to speak. <laughs> yes, yeah, he kind of nods along and stuff like that. <laughs> he's and, got a uh, fun wig, and that's about it. 
they give you the uh, they they pop in every now and then to give you the kind of context behind certain things because it's all first person in the book, so everything is you're in Canis's brain, but obviously you you don't get to do that. Um, another thing, you know, having now started talking about Katniss, uh, it's really interesting to see how kind of Je- Jennifer Lawrence's own life kind of parallels some of the, especially from the first two films. Okay, uh, you know, she she was this she was this kind of like nobody in an indie film who was kind of plucked to be the this Winter's main, Bone was her first Winter's movie? Bone yeah, yeah yeah and then all of a sudden she's uh, she's in the Hunger Games films and she is like an A list star like you look at these films now oh, sure. and you're like, oh my god what a cast they've got Jennifer Lawrence but at the time nobody knew who she was and mm. you just think like her kind of life must have changed in the same way Katniss's did with all the kind of craziness that must have surrounded her after being in that first film um only that first film though i think i i I can't say three and four probably replicate her life in any any way except that she did disappear for a little bit because i think she realized everybody had gone a little too crazy for her and uh Mm. the backlash had started but um no i mean i mean the whole cast of these films it's insane some of the people they got in here when you think about it and it carries on in the in the prequel film as well but you know, when you you think Jennifer Lawrence, Woody Harrelson, Julianne Moore, uh, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman, Donald Sutherland, Jeffrey Wright, Stanley, yes. these guys are these guys are great. And then you start getting like little people pop up, like Mahershala Ali pops up. Yeah, little like, Ma- yeah, before... he's a bloody star now. I couldn't I couldn't even remember he was in this. Yeah, film. this is yeah, pre Moonlight. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely in three. Tom Claflin before he kind of got big and everything. Yeah, yeah. Three yeah. and four, you can definitely tell Hunger Games was the the biggest film, <laughs> biggest TV show on at yeah. that time. Gwendolyn oh, no, you Christie mean, pops you up. Game of Thrones, you mean, yeah. Yeah, De- Natalie Dormer's in there it's and Burnberry, stuff. You yeah. just think like, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> Everybody's watching Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> yeah, it's 2014, season four, Joffrey's just died. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> it's they, they get together kind of, a t- the, the TV crew is like a crew of like TV's finest at the time. Because yes. you've got obviously your Game of Thrones, you've got um, uh, what's his name from Daredevil, Foggy. Yes, um, I, I want to give him his real Eldon Henson, West Chatham from The Expanse. <laughs> you just think like, yeah, yeah. TV's greatest are right there. Yeah, or, or soon to be TV's greatest. Even the dad from Stranger Things is in this. In, is yeah, in this crew. He is, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He's just in the background, and he does. He looks like the dad from Stranger Things, and it's really. Dis- <laughs> watching it through modern lens um and he's like one of the first to die he's just like this this yeah it's strange it's like so he, he brought somebody's dad with him um yeah I, I i think jennifer lawrence you can't really you can't really picture the franchise without her i know it's because she's, she's so sort good. of but she is so good in this and do you know who stood out to me even more this time alex was josh hutcherson i thought um especially just as the i think he's great from the start but as the movies go on i think He's kind of outacting most people in, in, in scenes with him. I think he is incredible in this film. And I kind of really forget how how great he, he is as a performer. And and Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, really cemented that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, he I, is the best for that movie too. But I, I think he is somebody who kind of, you know, who've done a, he's been dealt a bit of a bad hand post Hunger Games because I think he is really good. Yeah, he he is he is really good in this, and it probably comes down to the fact of like because at the time it was all about the the love triangle uh, that that happens in all the kind of YA fiction, and the weak, weakest part of the franchise, Gail, is as 
dull as dishwater. It is weak, but I also I don't think it feels too... I felt like the books felt more wrapped up in it, and I think the films did a mm. good thing of being like, at the end of the day, like there's more important things. I mean, every now and then there's a little bit too much like... I'm not going to do the rebellion if I can't be with you. You're like, Gail, yeah. shut the hell up. You. Yeah. And it's like, well, it is more the other way around. Gail's like the least empathetic person in the world. She's just like, yes. why are you pining over him? He's like, you know, kids die. And he's like, for the rebellion, I guess. I don't care. Yeah. This okay. is war, yeah. But he's also got no personality. To, he's yeah. just like, he literally, that's, these are the conversations he has from movie one to movie four. So, um, yeah, every time he just, he enters the frame you're, you you sigh, your body droops a little bit, and we're like, okay, here we go. Two minutes of this. Yeah, he's so <laughs> uninteresting, and and then maybe that is a credit to Josh Hutchison. Uh, Peter is more interesting. I remember when I was reading the books, thinking that I, you know, if I was to go back and be like, oh, I ship them together. I think I wanted Katniss to end up with Gale, but then by the end, you're like, whoa, no, screw Gale. Yeah, they just um, want to be the contrarian at the time or something. Yeah. Whereas this time, I was like. <laughs> less interested in who she would end up with but it was kind yeah. of more glaringly obvious that like peter's a peter's a good guy though he does get a little um too wrapped up in the fact of like the love story in the first film being mm. fake and him being like well i didn't think it was fake we were just trying to survive mate we were yeah. just trying to survive just just bugger off <laughs> you <laughs> know wet blanket the the first the first book is so like kind of no sorry the first film is so loyal to the book to almost a kind of a self-downing way. Um, the little details I think about like why we had to include that Peter was really good at, um, well, Josh Hutcherson's character was so good at decorating. And I think you're thinking of it the same in the arena that I'm thinking of where she shows yeah. up and he's being disguised fully. I mean, we've seen the meme, everybody's seen the memes online of him fully disguised as a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so many questions that, that that brings up hi where did you get the materials how did, you know i mean where was going to pee where he's going to eat you know that sort of stuff but also just the visual gag and and juxtaposition of, of what comes before and just a hard cut to him lying on the ground um it's hilarious i mean it, it is it was funny we had a laugh when we saw yes. that yeah. yeah no he he just wants to bake bread <laughs> yeah uh, and that's why he's so cakes. strong because he throws sacks in the bakery <laughs> it is it is a little bit it is they could have they, they could have made up something else for that <laughs> I, I wonder if there's any other bakers who kind of agree like yeah man i'm ripped Fucking because hell, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm throwing bags of flour oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what i'd be the it, fattest baker in the world if i was a baker because i love bread so you'd just be a dough you'd just be a dough boy wouldn't you i'd just be eating bread the whole time don't matter how many sacks of flour i throw around if i'm eating like my weight in bread each day that, that yeah yeah yeah, when you threw that bread for her in the street, I was. Would you even at that? I mean, I was. I was a muddy bread. Well, I, was a wet, I was a wet bread. I, I mean, if you're that hungry, Chris, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, spoken like a true capital man, right there. <laughs> I know savages. Um, <laughs> Marking J Part Two, I think. Just final point on the franchise as a whole. I think that's the one that kind of took me by surprise. I think I must have not have seen the whole movie because. Post all like when they storm the city as like a small sort of um, guerrilla group, um, it all kind of got blurry for me. So I forgot how scary 
this last movie is. And I'm talking, not for me, I mean, I mean I'm talking from the perspective of a 12-year-old going to see a, a 12-certificate film. Mm. There is some creepy stuff, especially when they go down to the sewers. And I for, I didn't realize there was going to be like these, have you ever seen, if we've seen The Descent, or, mm. you know, anybody who knows Gollum, you know, the will know this sort of creature that just, there's thousands of these like sewer creatures that descend on them in like pitch black scenes that are like it feels like you're watching Alien <laughs> the, yeah. um, for about 20 minutes and they're like flipping egg this, fil- this film gets really grisly at times yeah and it's really it's, it's a massive downer as well it is a diner like it's such a, a downer film and I think of that scene. I like it for that because old um, what's what's Sam Kaplan's character name in this oh um, Finn Finn, that's it. Yeah, and he's really good at fighting underwater. Uh, yeah, he's which he's got sure. a trident. Yes. That was his like main skill was fighting underwater. Like, how'd you know that? Uh, yeah. Like, how'd you find that bit? Out? He was the trident guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. Fu. And he but just he... got ma- he got married the day before as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so irresponsible cruel. for him to go along. Can I just say, after you know, fighting his way to get back to the 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 girl he loves, who was an ex tribute as well, and is not altogether quite there because of the you know the obvious trauma that came with it. Another thing the films do really well is capturing that trauma. Uh, but he then dies, and then you realize it was all kind of for nothing because they were five minutes, and they were about to storm the capital anyway. So they were yeah. going to win the war. And <sighs> he's so likable. He's really likable in these he's movies. Really, too. He's really nice, isn't he? He's so yeah, nice. he's a nice boy. <laughs> he's such a nice guy. Um, he carries he's the old the lady on his back. He's, you know, Sam Claflin, just a shout out to him, because I think he is one of the most underrated British actors in general. I think he is a class act, and I think he is so underrated. I watched him in The Nightingale a couple of years ago, where he plays an absolute bastard, like one of the most horrible men I've ever seen in a film, and does it so well, like literally top 10 villains of all time. And the range that guy has, I think, I think, you know, he's, he's more than the me before you guy. Let's just put it that way. Okay, he, he's I, I haven't seen the Nightingale, but I did hear oh, good things. I didn't actually realize he was in it, so that is interesting. But yeah, it is his 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 death is kind of sad. But then also because the film concludes almost like ten twenty minutes later, it feels like the most wasteful <laughs> death. <laughs> just hold on a little bit longer. It's like yeah. if you just waited five minutes. <laughs> oh man, it does. It almost warrants that final film a bit pointless. But then also, you could say things like things like that about like the first Indiana Jones. So you just kind of go with. The it's story always hard to wrap these them things up, isn't it? Things, but um, yeah, such a downer because obviously it doesn't really have a particularly happy ending. Like they storm the capital, but you know the the leader, old coin played by Julianne Moore, is, is, wants to restart the Hunger Games. Um. She, and Katniss obviously says yes just to get her on side so she can, you know, blindly shoot her with an arrow. <laughs> you know, big surprise yeah. without kind of her seeing it come. And then obviously Katniss loses her sister, which was the whole point these films kicked off in the first place. You know, Katniss was never trying to be a revolutionary icon yeah. or anything like that. She was just trying to save her sister's life. And then, you know, full circle, the thing she kicks off by doing that. Um, obviously ends in the death of her sister anyway. She if and, she held on a few seconds too. That would have been great. Yeah, she, well, she was she was almost used as a weapon, wasn't she? I think. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. So it's it's quite a sad ending. To it's like yep, it, we won, but at what cost? And and will this kind of just recycle into the same old stuff? And then Katniss and Peter go off to live their very kind of trauma 
traumatic, you know, PTSD lives following it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. They can live their sad emo lives for the rest yeah. of this. Yeah. And I know like it's a nice little they have kids at the end and stuff and but you're you're a little bit like mm. Yeah. Pete has slightly I... longer hair. <laughs> yeah. Didn't do the Harry Potter thing of like, I'm naming my child Effie, <laughs> <Dumbledore>. <laughs> Effie, uh, Plutarch, Heavensby, Hamish, Abernathy. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. I, th- I think overall, it's a satisfying end of the series for me. I, I quite like the way it just goes grim, and I think for a franchise like that, like you wouldn't get that now. I think you wouldn't get that now. I think you know that was kind of the last time maybe a kid, you know, a teenager series that would. Be a f- wouldn't be afraid to do that unless they just completely yeah. like yeah i kind of forgot that it had to be honest with you so maybe i don't know yeah it does feel pretty ballsy to do that when other you know i know harry potter concluded with a lot of deaths but it just kind of felt like they needed some shock in that series mm-hmm. rather than anything else um so but it is nice to see that suzanne collins as a young adult writer has not become more problematic as the years have gone on <laughs> we all know what and who you're referring to we can move on we can still watch and read hunger games without feeling bad <laughs> folks draw your own conclusions um so fast forward to 2023 or 2024 for us because that's when we've seen it um so the hunger games the ballad of songbirds and snakes which actually takes 64 years um place 64 years before the um the events of the Hunger Games. So this mm-hmm. is set during. This is set during what is it the fifth Hunger Games? Um, no, I think it's Third? I think it's the tenth. Oh, it's it's that far on, is it? Okay, I'm pretty so, sure. Oh, yeah, because that makes sense because it's the quarter quell in Catching Fire, which is seventy fifth Hunger Games. So it'll be ten years. Be like ten years before that. Yes, yes, which Got does it. end up making snow like mid to late eighties. If we're going off that logic, yes. Uh, Which you know, I know Donald Sutherland's old, but he doesn't look that. I don't know. Does he look that old in those films? Who knows? I kind of we like haven't a... mentioned him. Do you like him? Do you like? I love. I I, I think he he's is great. deliciously evil in in Hunger yeah. Games series. I think he's having loads of fun, and that cheeky devilish grin on his face, scene to scene, is really fun to watch. Yes, cool. Thought we should chat him out. Yeah, he's he is awesome. He is yeah. awesome in that film. He's, he's, he's still going. Yeah, uh, good change. <laughs> I think there's a movie, there's a movie a couple um, months ago. He just so Francis Lawrence is back directing this again after doing Catching too. Fire and the Mockingjay films. And again, I, I, I'm quite surprised. I'm just so interested to see where what he does from a directorial standpoint. Like, what way is this film going to look? And mm. you know, all credit to him. Like, this movie looks different to the rest of the movies. Like, he he goes for a different visual flair each time he returns to this material. Yes, yeah, definitely. It definitely feels, and it's good as well. It feels different, doesn't it? I think there is mm. the camera's definitely slightly. It's got more of like a weird. It's got more of a lens. scope to it. It's yeah. definitely got some. Yeah. So, I mean, that could just be kind of, I don't know how technology is advanced. I don't know. But um, yeah, the most def- digital of the movies. 100%. Definitely. And then tonally, I feel like we get a slight tone change as well, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is, which is nice. It kind of makes it sense. allows it allows it to have its own life whilst, you know, also kind of looking and sound like a Hunger Games film. 
Um, I ended up um, renting this one to stream because I didn't go see it in the cinema. And me too. Me I'm too. kind of sad that I didn't, but I think I, I I don't know if we mentioned it too much, but kind of like my energy dropped after three and four of the last mm-hmm. films, mainly three because I just think any kind of love I had for that series, it felt like they all of a sudden it was like this split film, a cash grab, energy really died down, and and it was quite a slow trundle to the finish line. I thought after Catching Fire. Um, so like I was like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see a new Hunger Games. Obviously, I hadn't read the book, so I didn't have that kind of anticipation for it. Um, but I kind of feel a bit bad that I didn't go see it opening week or something, you know? Because I think also because the length of it, it's 157 minutes long. You know, that's pretty. That's a pretty chunky movie, and I would have benefited film. from being in that sort of you know Too chamber far. and yeah, in that sort of mind space of being in a cinema. I think it's a good looking movie too. I think it's really nicely shot. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, no, I was I was happy to you know after doing our little mini marathon of the Hunger Games films, I was happy to be back in the world, and I was I was quite excited to watch it. So yeah, I came out of it. I really really like this film. I don't love it, love it. Mm-hmm. Um, not like the first or second Hunger Games, but I think it did a really good job of kind of showing you a different side, and it gives you a bit more of the history of the Hunger Games of the capital, and then I guess most importantly. Uh, gives you this kind of origin story for Coralanus Snow, um, yeah. who's played by Tom Blythe this time, and his kind of crawling up the social ladder within the within the capital, um, and I guess his kind of Anakin Skywalker descent to evil as well. And <laughs> <laughs> um, also has a similarity to uh, parallel to a character we're going to talk about later on as well. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, I think. Tom Blythe is probably my favorite thing about this film. I, I, I'd i seen him. He, he used to be in a lot of television. Was he in Game of Thrones at a, at a point? Oh, I don't actually know. Like, I, I think I've seen, he, he used to, he was kind of like a typecast child actor who would play like the sniveling, you know, chi- you know, complacent British kid in things, like in period pieces. If okay. I'm right. Oh, and, I don't, and, yeah. and he's sort of had a bit of a glow up. <laughs> since um yeah no he, he he is great in this movie um i think i'm for a ya project again i think it, it handles grays and and people in terms of how they can change and adapt you know we're, we're watching the downfall from somebody who you know i think objectively is a good person from the beginning of this film and, and seeing how they change and morph through this film and kind of in a complex way that's not exactly as linear as i expected it to be um mm. My problem, my problem with the film, is I think is the tonal change a little bit. I, I, it took me a little a while to kind of work the movie out. I think I was spending mm-hmm. a lot of time feeling this new version of Pan Am, well, this older version of Pan Am. Is the aesthetic is completely different. It's um, if you've ever played like the Bioshock video games for any gamers mm-hmm. out there, it has this sort of like steampunk mechanicals, but turn of the century sort of feeling to it. You know, it's kind of like a mixture of, of eras and, and our own world kind of put together. And that's quite enjoyable. And also there's some interesting character choices with, um, I think, Viola Davis. I actually quite enjoy her in this movie playing um, Dr. Volonia Gall, um, mm. who is one of the, the game makers. And she's she's going, she's hamming it up. She's really hamming it up in a she's good really way. Hamming it up. And you're trying to, you're, you're just kind of feeling this world out and kind of getting used to it. And I think... Anyone who sees this will agree. I think 
um, this movie is probably going to be more successful in a second watch, just just on purely on that basis. And I think maybe the games in this are not as, as bad because it's against you know what the topic of these movies yeah. in general. But we we I mean it's 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 kind of the pleasure of these movies if we like to see the games too, um, especially those first two films. Those were the 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 event of seeing them. Um, and I think the game in this one is maybe just not as quite as as interesting um, mm. in terms of what's... I, I'm glad that it's kind of over and done with in the first yes. half of the movie and it turns into something else. And I think it becomes a little bit more interesting after that. Um, and it's quite nice because I wasn't... I was kind of expecting it just to revolve around the Hunger Games. Mm. And it was quite nice, you know, that it starts so fast into the film. And I thought... Oh, yeah, okay. got a lot of this is this is going to be over and done with within you know by the halfway point of the film, so that makes it more interesting. It is I also the hunger game to be like a second game come up later on in the movie or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't think that, but yeah, it would have made yeah. sense. But it is the verge of the Hunger Games becoming interesting. It is interesting that the film takes, or you know, the story of the film takes that route of like. To begin with, these games were just a way to show kids killing each other. There wasn't the spectacle around it. Um, it does fall into that prequel trap of, you know, all of a sudden old Coralina Snow comes up with all the th- ways to make it more interesting, which are all the things we now know to be the Hunger Games. There's a few little contrivances like that where you're like, okay, is you know, it's not as bad as like the hand solo, you're by yourself, we'll call you hand solo line and so but <laughs> it's it's borderline there. There's a couple That's of moments so Don't picking up a to- potato <laughs> and being like, Oh, Katniss. Oh like Katniss, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was a little bit overt. Um, <laughs> um I think I think yeah, it has those trappings, not as much as, as I expected it to have. I think it really does no, want not to, too it does want to be its own thing, and I think it is as separate um to the first Hunger Games film as the Mocking Jay movies are to the first film. I think it, it you know, even even more so. And I think that's just the right, the right tone. Um what did you think of you know, because this is kind of an interesting topic point for both of us to talk about, is the music. I think because we both didn't expect this to be as music heavy, especially especially country, of all things. Yes, took me by surprise to the point where this was a moment I, wa- I was glad I wasn't in the cinema because when Rachel Zegler starts singing, and it's nothing to do with her singing. Well, or, her singing is amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, and she's really good in this. Um, she is. But yeah. like the music took me back quite a bit that I kind of like laughed yeah. <laughs> when she first started singing because I wasn't expecting it, I think. And I think I was like, oh god. And then more music happens. You're like, oh my god, Hunger Games the musical much. And then mm. more singing happens. You I go, warmed into it. I I'm actually quite enjoying this now. Mm. This kind of this kind of works and it works for the character. I'm using some real world story. songs from our own media. Like mm. from our, like real country songs from our world, which is quite an interesting choice, but like changing the lyrics, obviously. Yeah. Um, I forget it's that, that song that she plays when she is kind of like, this is the first. So Coriolanus comes up with the the idea to televise Hunger Games. Up until this point, it was just like an event that happened on the background, and people kind of, you know, knew it was going on, and he kind of brought the ideas to kind of make it this big thing, this whole American Idol idol certain mm. style experience um and it's, i really 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 enjoyed watching the humble beginnings of what that looked like as a show as an experience yeah you know kind of 
it had that 1950s that we have a big 19 like 50s C- crt screen on the background we're in a, a in a small televised studio jason uh, jason schwartzman is is playing the the car you know that sort of stanley tucci character this time uh, as the tv presenter and we're having phone in dial in phone calls of people putting in their votes i really liked how scratchy and how kind of non-perfect that event was like it felt like a big rehearsal for what was coming years to come and what would be refined. I thought that's a really cool piece of uh, world building that they really didn't have to do. But when she sings on the TV show, um, as almost like a like a self help propaganda where she, she uses the lyrics and it's emotionally manipulating the audience, and we get that in the Catching Fire, obviously too. But I thought that was really really cool. That's when the music kind of like worked for me. Is mm. whenever I had a little bit of a purpose to like that, yeah. But also, you know, it's it's it sounds good too. It's yeah. right. it's, yeah. it's yeah. Nice. it hits it's nice. it hits the right emotional beats at the right times, and yeah. I definitely wouldn't laugh at that first song. Um, you know, going into it knowing now, like if I was to watch it again, uh, it is disarming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think even the fact that Rachel Ziegler's got this very southern accent again is like completely more out there than anything you've seen in the Hunger Games so far. Like, I don't feel like anybody puts on a crazy accent. Mm, and that's not crazy. Not crazy, but it's strong. Nobody puts on a ridiculously yeah. strong accent. She pulls it off. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying she doesn't. It's just you're taken back by, like, wow, strong accent. Strong <laughs> accent. What is happening? And, like, you don't think... And they kind of do talk about District 12 and how she's not really from District 12. Because mm. at first I was like, nobody in District 12 we've heard so far sounds like this. Why <laughs> does, she, like say, yeah. why does yeah. she sound like this? So they do have a whole story reason for it. But it just... There are moments like that. And, again, it might just be from watching the Morden Quick Succession where you're just like, whoa, this is different. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I thought Rachel Zegler was great. I thought she was really, really good in this. I quite like the. Is it so? Her character Lucy Gray. Baird. So we Baird. We get the um, the Hanging Tree song, which was like if you watch the Mockingjay movies, it's so hard to get that song out of your head for yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm just like humming it all the time now again. Um, but this song resurfaces here. So she's obviously the the author of that yes. song. So that kind of... come in as soon as a few more songs come in, came in. I was like, oh, okay, she's gonna write the song. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I find it interesting from like an audience point of view, but like they never in the original Hunger Games movies because I don't know if Suzanne Collins kind of had this had that in mind for for the characters. Um, but we don't really see snow in those films sort of react to that piece because that's used as propaganda against mm. the capital the in, song in is films. definitely in the books like those okay. lyrics and everything they're definitely in there but what i'm saying is was that originally intended in the to be placed oh in the i see um so because obviously you now you have this direct correlation with the song and and snow so snow is an old man hearing the song that oh his his former like lover his you know is is beloved used to play or sing yeah. and not being used as a propaganda piece against him i thought that was quite thought provoking and interesting although yeah. it doesn't come to anything in the in you know the movies we got 10 years ago I th- but yeah i think probably if it had been known then they might have hammed up a scene a bit more within those original films however mm-hmm. i think you can kind of like backwards retcon it to be like you know, why is he so obsessed with this girl from District 12 sure. who is very similar kind of, you know, is almost the 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 anti 
Lucy Greybeard, you know, like she's the the warrior fighter who has to become an entertainer, whereas uh, Lucy Bird is the entertainer who has to become a fighter, kind of thing. So yeah, you know why? You know, and I think that you know the whole thing of like the last thing she says to him is like, "I'm off to go find some Katniss," <laughs> <laughs> and then Katniss yeah. pops up sixty five years. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's very common. It's just like, you know, it's what the potato is to Ireland. You know, it's yeah, going to come across potato. at some point. And uh, <laughs> obviously his obsession with Katniss is kind of seems in, in those films almost to do more with mm-hmm. the fact that she, he kind of realizes she is like the spark of a rebellion. Um, and he's almost as impressed with her as he is kind of fearful of her. Um but Consider- I think you can you can def you could definitely like backwards wreck on that and be like, oh, there was more going on with Snow than we knew. Mm. And I think it's an interesting it doesn't detail. feel like it's been rewritten too much. You know what I mean? I think it's really interesting the way they kind of subvert your expectations with the Lucy Gray character in a way, because I kind of went into this thinking I was going to get another Katniss. Um mm. and also I, I find it just kind of interesting being her just kind of being an ordinary person sort of just not, you know, trying to make a moral high point at any point in this competition. She literally is just trying to survive and get her way through this. And although she's sympathetic towards people she meets along the way, she's very sympathetic or empathetic, should I say. Um, She is just, she's just like a normal person thrown in this situation. So I quite enjoyed that, that it wasn't like this person's going to like lead something. She's going to like, you know, be defiant or anything, you know, it, it, all those tropes that we're used to seeing in YA. Mm. Um, it was quite fun just to have somebody who was just kind of caught this guy's eye, but she also, you know, it, it, it was just love, this sort of romantic jest between them too. And I, I find that to be the more interesting part of the story. And it was cool to have a little, something different to the Hunger Games franchise. Definitely. Definitely. And gave you a little bit more history about how they came about and, and again, in a kind of very kind of downer way of Peter Dinklage explaining yeah. that he came up with the Hunger Games almost whilst he was drunk as a joke, and then he has to live with the burden of the fact that people took hey, it yeah, as a good idea. Thing to do. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, you're right, man. He's like, whoa! <laughs> I don't <laughs> no, mean it! <laughs> don't kill kids, man! <laughs> what the hell? I'm drunk! What is he drinking in that little vial? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember yeah. what colour it was. White. It was just clear. Um, white so, Russians. What are they? Yeah, what are they drinking in the capital? White Katniss Russians. juice. Katniss juice. <laughs> Fermented Katniss. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's the Hunger Games, Alex. I think I'm glad I revisited the franchise. Yeah. And, you know, I think it definitely. I'm, I'm glad I went to back and watched the old ones first because I got something new out of certainly the latter two films that I didn't really remember or didn't necessarily get out the first time and also got my excitement up for Battle of Songbirds and Snakes which I think I could recommend to people I think it's quite an enjoyable film um, regardless of you've seen the series or not I think it helps but yeah yeah, this is very enjoyable yeah no good fun good fun maybe a little bit too long but uh, definitely too long happy to be be back in that world and I don't know if they wanted to do more I'd uh, I'd be up for it I'd happily watch them yeah That brings us to back to BFI. Have we done BFI top 100 for 
I don't know how many weeks it's been now, or how many episodes. There's been a few, um, right? Yeah, well, we've had a bit of a break in between Christmas. as well, haven't we? So we had we had our Christmas episode, and then we had our year in review episode. But in between that time, we had two or three weeks off for Christmas as well. So it feels like it's been a while, but mm-hmm. maybe for our listeners, it's been like two episodes. But it is the series where we look at the blind spots uh, that you and I both have from the top 100 greatest films of all time list from... BFI Sight and Sound magazine. It's not even fair to call them blind spots. I think blind spots kind of relates to if they're like a handful that we didn't get right. All right. We, we are going through the majority of this list. <laughs> I think well, it's we can't change say. it now because we've been saying blind spots the whole time. All right. Oh, no. I, I, I feel richer for this experience so far, even though we've got a little bit way to go. But we are definitely going to get to uh, number one. Um, I think I think this year. I think, we're, I think if we, we oh, use yeah. the same sort of track record as we did last year in terms of getting through these we'll definitely get there and i think this episode is really special because you know regardless of what we're going to talk about in regards to this film i think barry linden by stanley kubrick was a major blind spot for us both a bit of a milestone on this journey that we were both really really excited to get towards yes a kubrick film neither of us had seen despite liking Majority Every Kubrick film so far, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit like jury's still out on me for Clockwork Orange. Um, I, I, I just need to revisit it. Um, I, you know, I just haven't returned it. I watched it as an 18 year old a couple of times, where I, you know, perhaps my feelings towards it would be a lot more matured and a different perspective on it. I mm. like to, I like to think so anyway. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I mean, I watch, I watch the shining like every year. Um, <laughs> like that most has people. just reminded me. I've not seen a clockwork orange. You haven't seen clockwork. No. Orange. Actually, I think my favorite is, um, Dr. Strange love. Mm, yeah. As a, as a piece of satire, it's a, yeah, people, people absolutely love that film to death. I need to revisit that one also. Cause I've also around 18 when I seen that. So, but yeah, I mean, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Full Metal Jacket, everybody knows Kubrick. Um, and everybody mm-hmm. has, you know, as I've most people, I think even people who aren't major film fans are better than probably myself or yourself and have completed his filmography because he has his fanboys out there. Like, you know, mm. in terms of what Christopher Nolan would have now, um, you know, Kubrick still has that as a fan base. Um, so, and, and, and it's clear to see the guy was a genius and he had, and he, he was very obviously particular, and every you know it's 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 all out there. Everybody's read this and heard this millions of times. Why he was sort of a difficult perfectionist to work with and for. Mm-hmm. There's been numerous documentaries out about that as well. Um, but I was really excited about Barry Lyndon because this is the first sort of film I'd seen that is felt like a real major departure from his other works um, in terms of like what it's going for, like a big what Scorsese did with Age of Innocence. For example, we're going for against type for this director. Yes, but still maintaining the sensibilities of if I'm doing anything, I'm doing the big epic version of it. Yes, I think he was originally he originally was penned to do the Napoleon movie, yes. and then 1970 Waterloo came out, and it was a disaster. And then the financiers were just yeah. like, "We're not going for this anymore." Yeah, this Which would have been interesting. I would have loved to see. Kubrick's oh man, his Waterloo. Napoleon would have rocked. Yeah, Watching yeah. this, I was like, oh, God, I would have loved to have seen his Napoleon. Oh, no. <laughs> I think we got a good trade-off here, to be honest. I, don't uh, know I mean, this is great, but I did think, like, I'd love to... I just still, like, on top of this, I would have loved to have seen his Napoleon. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, let's get stuck into it. Um, so Barry Lyndon, I I wasn't really actually familiar with the story or the fact that this was based of, on a book, you know, and a, um, a 19th century novel, despite being play, um, set in the late 18th century in England about uh, the titular Barry Lyndon, who's this sort of Irish rogue who kind of works and diddles his way through life and comes against chances of luck and chances of misfortune to kind of work his way up the ranks of, of the English aristocracy. Um, so it's this quite sort of like, it's quite, insular at times but it is an epic it's just such a movie where it's three hours five minutes long mm. but by the end you get by the end of the movie you're like oh my god how did we get to the to this point that like it mm. does take you on a wild journey um, which is crazy and, and the movie has a lot of things to say about fate or how much control we actually do have of our own fate is it for our own our own acts or our pleasures our our misfortunes or is it something that couldn't be helped all along and i think you know it's something the movie gives you plenty of room to ponder these ideas but also just being a really kind of entertaining gorgeous costume drama. oh my god gorgeous film in like this film looks incredible like every <sighs> frame of this film looks did you watch like the criterion a... copy like i did yes. as well it looks Stunning. like a painting on a wall yeah. the framing that kubrick uses on like riverbanks where he like he obviously spent like the whole day just chartering these rivers to like frame a stately home or a castle in the distance that where you'd find the, the perfect amalgamation of of leaves just to like vignette a a, a, a couple in a distance or, or a home and with the lighting at the perfect time of day everything looks like you said it's painterly it's gorgeous to look yeah, at. even internally like i don't know just the way he frames mm-hmm. certain positions of like rooms with chairs and tables and people lying there and and just like big blank walls behind them you're just like i feel like if i just screenshot this i like do i vaguely remember this as a painting in a museum somewhere it's just like yeah insane some of the stuff and i think there's a lot of i i did go a little bit behind the scenes but i can't remember exactly what it is but cameras that might have been loaned from nasa to be able to film in low light for the candlelight scenes and stuff like that like all kinds of crazy (laughs) technical stuff going on to to really achieve kind of a really beautiful film well i I, when i went up looking up the filming locations of this film obviously it's mostly shot in various places all across england and ireland um i was looking at there's like 80 to 90 filming locations for this film i've never seen such an extensive list of 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 locations for principal photography it is insane and mm. you know the production it, it, i imagine there are plenty of anecdotes um that must have come from the cast and crew working with kubrick on such a perfectionist vision i mean this movie is i think regardless of how you feel about the story and i really love the story and i love the all the performances in this it is a masterclass in, in directing and rhythm, tone. Everything just kind of edits and melds well together and scenes just kind of roll into the next. And it's 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 it is it's so lyrical in that way. Um I'm more most interested to talk to you about Ryan O'Neill as the main performance yes. as Raymond Barry or Barry Linden. Um The what? world's most uh <laughs> difficult director working with potentially the His world's most... most difficult actor. Well, actually, as an actor, I don't think he was too difficult, but as a human being, he is not great. And I know he died recently, so I don't want to speak too ill. But... Died in December, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, only only a few weeks ago. So, but not a great guy by all accounts. 
But as as a performance, what was it? Yes, what, as a performance. Sorry, Chris. So you so you so you like so you like the performance? Um, yes, yeah, I think I do because it, because it works in terms of. I mean, I'm not being like hand this guy an Oscar. He's so good, mm-hmm. but he it works in the terms of he plays a buffoon really really well in terms like he's kind of smart a lot of conviction like a lot of personal conviction yeah yeah he's so stupid (laughs) but he's able to fall on like really kind of good fortune and luck sometimes through using his stupidity well his game Um, his life is a game of dungeons dragons where he just is rolling the dice from scene to scene then yeah yeah and whether he gets robbed by highwaymen or if he you know he he become he steals an officer's coat you know he makes choices He's, yeah, it's really good because it kind of works in the way of like, you don't particularly like him, but there is an like an inkling of empathy for him at times, just because you're like, how stupid can you be? Yeah, somebody yeah. needs to look after this guy. I, I think stupidity is a real major theme of this. You know, I kind of I thought this was almost sort of like a black comedy in a way. I yeah. find the movie quite funny. Um, a lot of free, but just because it's not only poking fun at Barry Lyndon as, you know, kind of an, an aimless sort of fellow, but also the, the world of 18th century England or Europe in general, the fact that we, we have duels to fight over, you know, marrying a lady that we just met like hours ago, you know, to all of these sort of pomp, foppish dinners and parties where these people live in these big, empty, vast spaces and just entertain themselves and spend their money. And their lives are just so empty and they're just voids of themselves. And, you know, we've seen a few films. I think I was thinking a lot about... um, with the film we we talked about the last year, the beginning of the BFI list, the leopard, the le- yeah, the leopard, it reminded me a lot of the leopard in that, that way, yeah. where it kind of how it explores people in these places and aristocracy, and how they kind of just kind of mosey around for their lives until until eventually something misfortunate happens, someone dies or someone stabs somebody else, and then you know their lives come crumbling down. It's so it's so. It's such on a pedestal their lifestyles, but they're so fickle and fragile at the same time. Mm. Um, I, I thought it was really entertaining, and I, I thought you know it's it's a very linear story. I mean, there's not you get the point pretty early on in this film, but the journey is just kind of just so fascinating, and you're just in in the presence of some of the the most elaborate costuming and set designs and cinematography, and some of the performance. I, I think. I think about Lady Linden and Marissa Branson when she first enters the frame, how Kubrick shoots her, especially you're talking about these dark nighttime scenes when she's on the balcony Mm. um, on that first scene and um, Barry Linden approaches her and seduces her on on the balcony. And and the way that's shot, I've never, just baking in in moonlight. And it's just this, it's it's hard not to fall into this movie. Mm. It is good. What did you think of Ryan O'Neill's accent, Chris, as a fellow Irishman? Yeah, well, of course, it's <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Like I said, it's 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 not it's not Tom Cruise and Far and Away. Um, nothing is as bad as that. But yeah, it's not great. But I I I think his performance is 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 good enough because I think he is so benign in this movie. He is mm. so you know he's not the most emotive person in the world apart from like whenever he wants to <laughs> beat the shit out of somebody um but 
it really sneaks up on you, that performance, I think, by the, the closing moments whenever he has sort of laced his way into Lady Linden's life and, and inherited her home, um, her son, who was born to the previous um, Mr. Linden, who who um, unfortunately uh, suffered to gout and, and God knows what else. Um, whenever he inherits this new life, it, it, it's very clear that he's a bit of a bastard and it kind of sneaks up mm. on you very, very quickly. Um, that, you know, you were always, I was always indifferent to him. Yes. But then I felt something for him all of a sudden. Um, yeah. And those feelings were really complex. And yeah. I think he does that really, 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 really yeah. well. Because at the start, you're kind of, you're a bit more on his side at the very start because it almost feels like a. Yeah, a he's an a, Irish rogue, you know, he's a. Uh, yeah. Stupid but, but romantic gesture for and he gets, and he the does hand things. of his cousin. <laughs> Yeah, and he acts on things, and that's kind yes. of entertaining to watch as a viewer, seeing somebody who makes decisions regardless of wherever they're good for others or himself or not. Yeah, doesn't um, really think of the consequences, but just feels like it's the right thing to do. But it, but it also is like, it's so different to the time that we live in now in 2024, where you have to be so precise about any decision you make, because the systems in which we live our lives through, you know, really dictate how we make choices. But back mm. then you could be so risky or, you know, it would cost you your life, but if you got away with it, you know, you kind of spoiled the riches a little bit. Um, There are lots of loopholes that you couldn't navigate today. Um, So I think the main character in this film is the time setting and and England itself and and all the people that inhabit it. Um, I think it's probably one. Of, it is one of the greatest costume dramas I have ever seen. I was so so taken by it, and it did not disappoint me. I I watched it from the comfort of my home. It's 185 minutes. I didn't get up to get myself a drink. Didn't pause the movie. I was so engulfed in this world, and the intensity of the 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 final jewel scenes in this movie, really, even though it kind of ends oh, in kind of yeah. a funny, dark, darkly comical way, um, we're really we're really kind of. Profound. I think um, Lord Bullington, that sort of dynamic, that hatred he has for Barry Lyndon and that final duel that comes where he's, he, he's coming to test his satisfaction and gain his satisfaction for being wronged by Barry years ago and comes back for a final duel. And that is really, I think he plays that, that role really, really well. Um, so yeah, I, I find all that really, really cathartic. And I thought him, it's all about fathers as well, because Barry Lyndon never really had a dad. Is the first shot of the film is his dad dying in a duel, mm. um, which is quite you know it's a sort of devastating irony to it. And he kind of navigates this world, and you see him sort of like adopting father figures, whether it's the Irish chevalier you know mm. guy or or whether it's um the the Irish captain that he meets early in the film. He gets shot in the gut, you know, yeah. and, and also so he, when he finally had bears a son. A different son with um, Lady Linden, he outpours all this sort of inward love that he never received for this child, and I thought that's the most human thing we saw out of this character this whole way through. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was more interesting, and I think it was interesting to cast someone like Ryan O'Neill. He perhaps on pen and paper would have been an odd choice, but I think because he's so benign, it works brilliantly. Wasn't it something like it was between him and Robert Redford? Oh really? Okay. I believe so. Which I think this changed. is the right choice. I mean, I love Robert Redford, but I don't know. He's too he's too strong and too I don't think I, he would have been the buffoon. No. 
No, he would have been the hero. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But you're right. That final duel, very, very well done. Very kind of powerful and tense, despite the, you know, I shoot first, now you shoot second, and then we keep going and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they use, obviously, the music in this is as a standout as well. Mm. You know, we all know, anyone who's seen Clockwork Orange as well will know that that piece of music is is so infamous. Um, and he uses it basically as the as the backbone for this whole film. Um, the score, I mean, won the Oscar for best score. Everybody will know it from the opening scene of Clockwork Orange, but it's this sort of driving drum beat that lasts for it the whole final duel that is so repetitive, but it's so it drives the whole movie forward. And it's, st- it's still stuck in my head. No, I'm going to be like humming this off yeah. camera. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it, it was it was awesome to see. And yeah, I, I think I will come back to this movie years to come. I think I was so taken by it and i think it's up there i can see why people revere barry Lyndon so so much yeah i, I did really like it i think I, I i found the opening and the like the first and the last act to be the best of the film i think it kind of my interest varied in the middle a little bit with mm-hmm. different things like i maybe wasn't as interested in some of the like the gambling and trying to take different titles and stuff like that but as soon as we got Lord Bullingdon involved and I thought the kind of relationship of like his arch nemesis now being like this young child, um, I was kind of like starting to get back into it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think my, my interest wavered a little in the middle, but um but for the most part this is a this is a really great film and absolutely gorgeous. It it, it is stunning. Um yeah. You could you could play this movie without the sign, and it still kind of worked to some point. Yeah, I can completely see why it's on the list, <laughs> um, very deservingly. So maybe I liked it a little bit more than you, Alex. But you know me, I'm a sucker for a costume drama. <laughs> yeah. If they're if they're done well, not any old costume drama because they can they can be pretty bad. They can be pretty dull as dishwater sometimes. But this has the Kubrick flair um, yes. that I wanted to see. The, it was it, it was near damn perfect. I thought. It was good. It was good. Very good. <laughs> it was. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe so, don't share your like absolute love of it, but I do. I do really, really like it. Like I can't. I can't critique it. I don't think it's a bad film in in the slightest. I think a lot of it does come down to like genre preference as well. I think there is a little element. Yeah, of that. you like period dramas more than I do, don't you? Hmm. Yeah, but you know, I am sitting opposite somebody who. One of their favorite films of all time is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's true. Uh, which it's I'm, a, true. I, I'm a big fan of also, but you you really love that movie. I really so, do. I really do. So maybe that argument's not true. Maybe not. <laughs> What's next on the list, Alex? For Are we going to be discussing BFI next week or are we... I think we are. We are, are we? indeed. Oh, are we? Because I know next week we are... So the idea for next week is we're going to discuss Poor Things and The Holdovers. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm going to try watch the Battle of Algiers. Is are you going to have enough time, Chris? I will look forward to discussing that with you. I haven't watched it yet. It sounds like I've watched it already from, uh. from the sound of my tone, but I have not. Um, so yeah, we will we'll find time to squeeze that in also because we like to Excellent. make sure our episodes are jam packed. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, if the holdovers and poor things take up too much time, we'll skip. But uh, yeah, we will get to the Battle of Algiers next on our BFI Science Sound list. Uh, Chris, before we um, close the episode, um, where have I hidden my handkerchief? I don't know. 
I don't know. Where is it? <laughs> Sorry, I, that isn't actually what I wanted to ask. <laughs> I think I took you. Uh, I was going. Go, <laughs> no, I, I was. I was reenacting what he says. At the, that's. <laughs> he's, um, so co- he's so coy. <laughs> it is quite funny. I do love that scene. That is a really funny way to start a film. I really did enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, no, I wanted. I wanted to actually give a shout out to me, mom. Um, so it is. It is my birthday tomorrow as of recording but uh yesterday as of the episode dropping and my mum made me a birthday cake which was in uh, a recreation of the film angle logo and it looks incredible and i'll make sure to drop it on the instagram so more than likely if you're listening to this it might already be there or i will upload it soon um Mm. i can i can vouch i have seen this cake in question and it looks amazing. So if you're listening, you did an amazing job. Um, when I first saw the photo of the cake, I actually just thought it was our our graphic art. And it wasn't until I actually zoomed in. I was like, oh, it's a cake. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, very, very talented. I don't know how they found icing with the right hex color. <laughs> it is like, it is exactly the right tone and hue, isn't it? It is it's like, it's mad. perfect. I know my dad helped out as well with the uh, with the decorating. So they're just perfectionists, aren't they? Yep. But um, it looks <laughs> good. It also tastes very good. And I wish you were a little closer, Chris, because you could have shared in it. Um, but it but it does taste great as well. There's a coffee cake underneath of, of oh, the cakes. Even better. Lovely, lovely. Very happy. Because we always have a coffee on the film angle, so that makes sense. Yes, yes, love it. If it's not beer, it's coffee. We're big coffee snobs over here, so <laughs> if we we if a coffee uh, wants to sponsor us, we will shout out your coffee and drink it at the same time. <laughs> Not instant though, no. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Or no, coffee we are bags, snobs, like coffee tea bag stuff. Beans, for beans, beans. beans. We'll beans. sell it for grind. We'll sell it for grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But freshest is beans, and we'll grind it ourselves. <laughs> All right, I think that calls it until we descend into silliness. Alex, happy birthday for tomorrow. Oh, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. On behalf of one half of the film angle. Love you. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) That does it for this week's episode, guys. Um, Make sure to follow us on Instagram, on TikTok. If you're listening, you're probably listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts from. That's the show for this week. I've been Chris. And I'm Alex. See you later. Goodbye and good night. <laughs>